It is Monday the 7th of October, I'm your host Ryan Kia, and this is the Quantium Cast. Welcome back to another edition of the Quantium Cast. Today we're going to be looking at a couple of quant stuffs, stuff that's a little bit interesting and may prompt your curiosity regarding historical investment returns, as we've been talking about in the past couple of series. Well, one thing we want to talk about is why investment actually beats holding cash. Inflation is an upsetting topic to say the least. One of the most difficult statistics to comprehend includes the apparent collapse of the purchasing power of the US dollar. Over the past 76 years, the US dollar has lost 94% of its purchasing power. This effectively means that if an investor had held $1 under the mattress from 1943 of what seems quite some time ago, to uh, 2019, then you'd be left with six cents worth of buying power. To widen the context of this sample, one dollar in 1913 would equate to roughly three cents worth of buying power in real terms, as inflation averaged around 3.2% per year. We must also note that the destruction in the real value of the US dollar over time acts as a signal to encourage those with capital towards the route of investment, as opposed to just holding on to their cash and attempting to mitigate their risk as much as possible. The issue that we find here is that by doing this, individuals are eliminating any prospect of future returns and thus are subjecting their assets to a certain depreciation over time. Unless the host nation Let's just use a random country like the US were to experience a period of continued deflation of which would actually increase their buying power. So assume that that doesn't occur, assume you just have average inflation of around 2 to 3%, it could be even more, but assume 3.2% as we provided the figure, you would actually have a continued collapse, almost so depreciation in one's buying power. It could be in pound terms, it could be in dollar terms, it depends what currency is depreciating and what currency is your host nation's currency. For example, if you're in the US and your host currency is the dollar, if inflation in dollar terms has basically increased, the US dollar's purchasing power has effectively fallen relative to other currencies. If we look at historical results, the presence of continued deflation would be an unrealistic assumption. So we'll just assume that in the future you'll probably have inflation. And that obviously will trigger a couple of people, but we're just trying to go based off standard economic theory, which does a lot of the time involve extrapolation of data. In my research, I've noted that Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky, two extremely well-known and respected academics in the field of cognitive psychology, guys that basically measure how we function as humans. These guys had written a research paper titled Prospect Theory, an analysis of decision under risk. This was a paper written in 1979, and in this paper, they suggest that human decisions bearing so-called risky prospects have misleading effects that counter utility theory. What is utility theory, you may ask? Well, utility theory is the basic economic assumption that when a person purchases one good, let's just say, they get a certain amount of utility. Utility is another word for satisfaction. If they purchase more goods, they will eventually have diminishing marginal returns or lesser 
levels of satisfaction or utility, depends whatever you'd like to refer to it as. Well, the results of Amos Tversky and Daniel Kahneman's findings had shown that human decisions, when we're under situations of, say, risk, if you think that, oh, I may actually be losing money, you counter utility theory. So they've basically concluded, back in that time period, 1979, that humans are loss averse. So we're more willing to cut a loss than ride a win or a rewarding trade or a good position. We're only using the trading scenario of that. In real life, we talk about humans are less willing to take a risk in, I don't know, a career prospect. A lot of people would say, I'm just not good enough. Uh, if we look at things like people trying to be in careers that are really niche, like a footballer, for example, they'd cut themselves short because they're not willing to take the risk, but they would rather just cut the loss there and move on. And by loss averse, we also mean that individuals are more likely to experience a greater relative sense of emotional duress in coping with a loss than the satisfaction gained from a winning position. As we mentioned before, if you're willing to cut your losses, you may not be so willing to actually ride out your returns. This is an area we'll talk about in future episodes which surrounds around investors being way too cautious. You're either too cautious or you're too loose in your approach to your portfolio, and both of those will restrict you, they'll limit you. You can either be performing underneath the market in a sense that uh, you will lag your returns because you're not riding in bull market conditions and you're cutting the same losses in markets that are, say, bear markets or just stable markets. In this situation, you're basically limiting your portfolio, as we mentioned. If you do produce returns below the market average, that doesn't necessarily mean you're doing things wrong. But in that case that I discussed, you are doing things wrong. If we talk about those who do below market average returns from, say, a bull market period, but when you're in a bear market period, they perform way above the market. That's totally fine. But one of the biggest drains to an investor's portfolio over time is actually them trying to work against the effects of inflation. But to do that, you have to put your funds working elsewhere. Let's give an example. If an investor had returned 20% in a particular asset for a year, we'll refer to this as a nominal return, right? There's no inflation being taken into account here. If we assume that the rate of inflation had been 5% in that year, the investor would have returned 15%, otherwise known as 20% minus 5%. So that will give them a real return of 15%, as we just mentioned. Real returns are mentioned before as simply returns that are just adjusted for inflation. And these returns effectively act as your buying power, otherwise referred to as purchasing power earlier when we talked about the US dollar example. Such adjustments for inflation actually allow us to understand and make historical comparisons of pricing. Meb Faber of Cambria Asset Management, one of my favorite guys to uh, research into regarding this topic, actually used an analogy that $1 Coke likely costs the same as 10 cents Coke and that an individual is simply paying with inflated dollars. So how do we defeat the collapse in the real value of any currency? Let's just forget about the US dollar and talk about it in a general sense. Well, investors will have to invest their currencies, whether dollars, whether pounds, whether euros, whether yen, it doesn't matter into various assets. You put them into different assets within different asset classes 
such as equities, bonds, and bills. Quoting the CSRI data, and also some data from Triumph of the Optimists, over the period beginning 1913 and ending in 2014, $1 would equate to roughly three cents had you held tight with your cash and decided to quote unquote, do nothing. But if you had put it in treasury bills, it would have been worth $1.33. And if you put it in 10 year treasury bonds, $5.68 and an impressive $492 in US stocks. And these are real returns, those adjusted for inflation. We will look further into the individual asset classes mentioned tomorrow. That will be in terms of the details of real returns, looking at a couple of countries across a 23 country wide data set. And we'll also be talking about equity returns versus inflation yearly and does high inflation mean high returns does high inflation mean low returns do they have any correlation at all we'll look at that tomorrow and hopefully we'll get back into more analysis of results and things like yields maybe over the coming days that would be something we could talk about but right now we're going to have a look at metro bank metro bank is a really popular stock that we've covered multiple times before we've also had a couple of positions in them right now we are just scouting if I go to have a look at the live price, I can see 207 pence per share. The shares are at the top right now, supported around 198.5 and, and resistance at around 215. If the shares can break above 215, look to 242. If the shares can break below 198.5, as we said, and hold, then it looks like 183, 171, and 166 are the levels of support that should be looked at there. The moment it seems that pressure is on the upside. Metro Bank was rumored to have some things going on behind the scenes in a sense that Vernon Hill, the previous CEO and founder of Metro Bank, the American billionaire Vernon Hill is actually rumored to be reportedly trying to take the bank private. This is the embattled lender Metro Bank we're talking about they have to pay interest of almost 10% on the 350 million odd in uh, bonds that they have. And that bond figure went all the way up to 550 million. So nine and a half percent, let's just say 500 million, 550 million pounds. We could take, let's say 10%, just to be safe, 55 million pounds. That's quite difficult for a company struggling to make profits at the moment. It seems that the American billionaire though is understood to have told potential backers in the last few days that he would consider buying his business back off the stock market at its current depressed share price. It seems that he has called city figures in a bid to secure backing for this move. A source actually said, now is the time for a predator to pick this up. It's quite a weird statement for a bank that uh, is having a couple of troubles right now. They are very liquid. It's just more so with their share price, to be honest, and the fact that profitability may actually be exempt up until 2021. Nevertheless, Metro is actually trading at a huge discount to its book value, and that's a historical thing used by many hedge funds. We could use an example, Berkshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett's hedge fund.
those guys like the whole price to book analogy, but at the current moment, if we use the price to book analogy on Metro, it does show future value if things can be sorted out. So if they can turn around their business, continue to have customer growth in terms of customer numbers, customer deposits, and their investment banking division suddenly rockets, which it can do. They are actually the fastest growing challenger bank. These guys are bidding the likes of CYBG, and they're extremely cheap in terms of relative value. But if they can't make a profit, I wouldn't assume shorters to give in and close their positions. These guys have made a killing from Metro Bank shares. A couple of hedge funds we could mention, OD Asset Management, they've been doing really well. It seems that they had uh, predicted these guys being overvalued. I myself must say, I never saw this coming. I mean, I was in a long at 290, assuming the trend was reversing, and I got cut out at 267. Made a... A decent loss for 24 hours, nothing huge in comparison to what you would have actually lost holding the shares for 52 weeks, but uh, that was a lot of volatility I must say. And the shares are now at 207, if I refresh them right now. I can only assume that we're going to be in this chop until some fundamental news comes out. I look to hopefully work a position around some of this price action. If we see a breakout above 215, Best know I'm going to be long all the way to 242. If we see a breakdown below 198, I could open a short for a trade. It's quite difficult to short this stock. It is very liquid, but uh, the spread's quite wide. And if you don't put your stops in the right place, you might get instantly stopped out, as uh, has happened to many of us before, I'm pretty sure. I sure hope it wasn't just me making that mistake. But anyways, we're going to continue to follow any moves made on Metro Bank, any updates will be right on to release another Quantium cast and hopefully update our listeners ahead of everybody else. Well, it seems that Metro Bank is having a difficult time right now. They're not as low as they were a couple of weeks or so ago. I mean, the shares were trading at around 150 pence. They managed to get away this bond raise, but bondholders actually managed to get enough support to stage a coup getting out Vernon Hill, the founder of Metrobank, they chucked him out, and now he's trying to buy back in, according to rumours, that is. We'll have to really see how things go, but that seems to be it for today. The live price on Metro, 207 spot 8, is about 5% away from a breakout, but also that much away from a breakdown. At times like these, you should be staying put and waiting to open a position. And that wraps up today's edition of the Quantium Cast. In tomorrow's episode, we'll be furthering our analysis on historical investment returns with a couple of examples, the teaser, South Africa and Italy in comparison to the US and the UK. I've been your host, Ryan Kier. Until next time.